And welcome to another edition of my podcast. Uh, have the pleasure of talking with current 36 Crazy Fist drummer Kyle Baltus. Um, known him for a few years now through him coming through Michigan and, and uh, hanging out and playing music and such. And uh, thought he kind of had an interesting story, so I figured I would uh, have him on and, and discuss it a little bit. So uh, good afternoon or good evening. Actually, I think it's still early evening or early afternoon for you right now because you're three hours behind me. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I don't know, two-something, maybe? Yeah. I keep forgetting that. Sometimes that fucks me up when I do these, like that people are three hours or four hours uh, ahead or behind me. Uh, like, we have one coming up with uh, the bass player Wayne from uh, King Parrot, and he's out in Australia, and that's like 18 hours ahead of me. So oh, shit. So, trying to figure out a time that works, <laughs> it's been yeah. a pain in the ass. So how are you doing on this uh, on this snowy evening or early afternoon for you? Um, a little stir crazy. Been stuck in the house, but I'm good. I guess for those who don't know, uh, Portland uh, is getting hit with a freak snowstorm that is <laughs> kind of pissing a lot of people off. Yeah, it's like the worst we've had in 35 years, I guess. You've lived out in Portland now, like your whole life, right? You're from Portland. Yeah, born and raised. Okay, so this is probably like the worst snowstorm you've probably seen in your life. It's pretty brutal, man. Yeah, um, I've seen. We had one in, like, 08 that lasted quite a while, but it wasn't like this. I mean, it it's shitty here right now. <laughs> uh, trying to think. It's not really – because you said you – like, earlier you said you live on a hill, so, like, is it just a – like, the whole state or the whole area just kind of shut down, not really able to do much of anything because they can't handle um, the weather? Not necessarily, really. We just uh, – our hill is just super steep where I'm living right now, and – we don't have like the cars to deal with the ice and all that shit so it's just kind of whatever yeah so um for those who may not be aware why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of your your background uh uh my name's kyle i have red hair i'm five <laughs> nine uh. <laughs> didn't know you're gonna go dating profile on me on that <laughs> well i didn't know exactly what you wanted dude um, I guess more like, uh, typically when I ask that, I, I guess more like, um, you know, like, uh, grew, like, I guess you could say like grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm used to... totally, totally fucking with you anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard in this meeting where I can't read your, your body language or your face to tell me if you're fucking with me or you're just being serious. Yeah, no, I'm just joking around, dude. Um, yeah, I was, uh, born and raised in Portland. Um, fucking spent most of my childhood just like playing sports and skateboarding and shit. Uh, kind of always played music, but was never really like serious about it until I was like 16, started playing guitar and played guitar in a couple bands. And, um, then just didn't really enjoy playing guitar live. So I went back to the drums, started a band and then, um, yeah, it's my high school band, and then uh, basically just started playing around Portland and shit, and uh, when that band broke up, I just got on with another band, and then I got on bands after that, and um, I guess uh, it's probably like 06, I got in a band called Falling Closer that I was in forever, and that's pretty much how I met 36, there's like more to it than that, really. I met 36 through like... Uh, my sound guy, our sound guy, basically Rumble. Um, he, uh, it's kind of a funny story. He 
was watching me play a show one night. I was like 17 and uh, wasn't very good at the drums, but <laughs> I was like, um, I just all I gave a shit about was like looking cool and like acting like Tommy Lee and pointing at chicks and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, Rumble came up to me after the show and he was like, you know, pretty blunt about everything. And he was like, uh, listen, man, you got a lot of potential, but you you basically like suck at the drums, you know, go home and quit practicing in front of a mirror and just fucking practice the drums. And I was like kind of taken back by it. But then I realized that he was Thomas's drum tech and 36's sound man. So I knew the dude knew what he was talking about. And uh, so I just took that advice and went home and started woodshedding and just practiced my ass off and kind of, yeah, just without his help. I don't know if anyone in Portland would really even know who I am, to be honest with you, because he's just always had my back and kind of, it was all, he was always like, um, everyone check out this kid, blah, 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 blah. And then through that, um, he used to work at a club that was, um, called rock and roll pizza in okay. Portland that we played fucking like every goddamn weekend, I think in falling closer. <laughs> and, uh, that was like how I ended up meeting 36 and shit. And uh, we used to open for them all the time. And then they took us on tour a couple times. And then, uh, yeah, I just slowly became friends with them. And, um, yeah, it kind of just started from there. And Thomas was like, like, besides Tommy Lee, Thomas, our old drummer, was just like my fucking hero. He still is my favorite drummer to this day. And, yeah, so um, it was it was cool just growing up and hanging out with them. You know, I never thought that I'd be opening for one of my favorite bands but then becoming friends with them and then even after like um we like uh, even if we weren't playing or whatever i would just go out and hang out with them on the road or you know they did take my band out a couple times and yeah so it's just kind of turned into like a family thing in, so would uh was portland really kind of known for having much of a music scene or is it kind of a very sparse thing as far as well, like when, when I started when I started playing in Portland at sixteen, the scene was a lot. It seemed like it was a lot better back then. It also kind of seemed like uh, there was a lot more camaraderie between bands, and that's nothing against like uh, the people in general or the bands that were around. It just seemed like you know we were all just a bunch of like young kids that were like just hungry and wanted to play music. So you know, if you had a friend in a band, you knew that you were going to go to his show that weekend. You know, and over the years, people got older and the scene got more saturated. A lot of the clubs got shut down and a lot of the like there what there there's pretty much like maybe one or two all age venues in Portland that I know of right now. And uh, so that's kind of depressing, especially for the kids that are trying to get out there and play shows for people or just play shows to play shows. You know, they really don't have a place to do it. So it's changed a lot in that aspect. Roughly, what was the time frame? I'm trying to think of. Uh, I feel like I th I'm a few years older than you, so I'm trying to get a gauge of like when you were 16, like roughly what years those were. Um, I played my first live show in like my own band. Um, I was playing guitar then, but I played my first live show at 16. Then uh, let me think. It was January 31st, 2004. Okay. So, yeah, we're about the same age. I think I got about two years on you. Um, yeah. Because I know I was going to say, like, that was kind of a thing paralleling. I'm kind of finding 
through talking to other musicians and other dudes in bands in general that those who were interested in in music that are around our age like it seemed to be a real hotbed for for like a you know a scene whether it be you know for you out in portland or for me here in michigan uh i feel like you know that's a common thread is that everyone says like you know within you know by the time most of us got you know five years into a scene that we were getting into like it pretty much had died and and you know there wasn't it's not around anymore so i'm kind of starting to wonder is it just that the people our age you know were hungrier because we didn't have like the internet and other things to fall back onto or if it's just because you know like you had just said it's an oversaturation of just a lot of shit to get through and a lot of it may not be good so it's like all right well I don't like this. There's too much of it, so I'm just not going to go anymore. Um, I think, honestly, it's a mixture of both. I think the internet definitely has... um, I think it's good and it's bad. I think that it's given kids a lot of opportunity to, like, showcase themselves without even having a band or anything like that. You know, they post their YouTube videos, their covers, or they're just them playing on YouTube. And, like, this day and age, like, you can you can be like famous and never played a show in your life you know so i think it's i think it's cool for like the exposure that these kids are getting still to like you know keep their interest in the music and like keep their confidence built and you know just like perfect their craft but i also think that it's kind of almost giving people like an out to um just be like closet shredders for the rest of their life without like stepping out into the public and like really trying to do that and if that's what you want to do that's totally cool but i mean i if you want to play in a fucking band and you want to play shows and you should probably be in a band playing shows and not like fucking editing youtube cover videos all day you know that is a weird trend that i've noticed uh in the last two or three years there's actually a band from around this area i prevail that uh I've mentioned that before. That sounds this. really familiar. Yeah, they they uh, basically did a cover of Taylor Swift's "Blank Space" that wasn't bad, but it's very formulat form formulatic or however you say that. Um, where it's like, oh, you got the clean singing, everything's like kind of down tuned, and then you got like screamed choruses or whatever. Um, yeah, just a, like a basic cover setup for yeah. That style of band. But the thing, it's like a clean first verse, and then the the heavy breakdown second verse where they scream over it. Yeah. But uh, the thing was that though, formula works though. I mean, it, no, it does. It does work. <laughs> it, I mean, it was a good cover. But the thing that I feel differentiated them from anybody else, and I don't know how much of this was pre-thought out by a label that didn't identify that they were working with at the time. But I'm wondering how much of it is like, oh, we know kids like covers. This will catch on. We'll put some money behind the YouTube video, so on and so forth, make it sound good. But then the one thing that this band did that no one else has seemingly done is as soon as like they got all that the eyes on them they turned around and were like well we have this new record now we're going on tour we, we have all this shit happening so it was almost like i said like there was a plan forethought before they released this cover so it's kind of like one of those things where i'm like all right so like maybe if other bands kind of were like yeah here's a cover here's how we get all the eyes on us and then and then actually use it to promote our, us and our own music then maybe it wouldn't be such a terrible fucking tactic when you just see bands constantly doing it but like I said, they are one of the few examples I can think of where someone's done that. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a marketing tool, and it's that's not like a new trick. I mean, you look back in the like you know the '80s or the '70s or even the '90s. You know, a lot of people will play like you know there'll be a bar band and they do like covers all night, but then they'll throw in originals here and there just to like introduce it to people, and you know, like 
they end up people like if they write stuff that people like you know they end up wanting to hear the originals over the covers so I totally get that logic where it's like you know you got to do something that people would be interested in even if they don't know you and then like suck them into the you know well this is what we actually do kind of thing like I totally understand that yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's I don't know. It's been interesting. I feel like I'm turning into the cranky old man who's like, "Oh, back in my day." But <laughs> yeah, that happens. Um you said you started off playing guitar. What made you switch to drums other than just the boredom of playing guitar? Well, actually, um I've been playing. I got my first drum kit on like my second Christmas. So, oh, okay. I've been beating on drums my entire life. I was just never like serious about it. So, like uh, turned 16 everything that I gave a shit about was like basketball and skateboarding like, that's all I cared about and, not um, terrible things to, to be into no no not at all <laughs> um, and my dad is a my dad is a guitar player and I just kind of I always grew up around music like my grandma is a, you know she's a great piano player my uncles play music but my dad is um, my dad's played in bands like my entire life and uh I kind of, I, I always, I mean, obviously drums is my first love and stuff like that, but I'm not one of those drummers who's the kind of guy who, like, sits down in the practice room or wherever his drums are and just, like, plays drums all day, because even as a drummer, like, if you're just listening to drums, like, it gets fucking annoying pretty quick, <laughs> and so I just, uh, I always appreciated, like, the guitar and the piano, because you can sit down by yourself and, like, play you know three chords over and over and over and it's pretty and it's you know people don't get sick of it and I don't get sick of it and so I just always wanted to learn to play guitar so I finally um just had my dad show me a couple things actually uh my buddy one of my best friends in the whole world his name's Alex Davies he's a kid that I used to just well, I was pretty much in several with in high school we used to skate together all the time and shit and he had a guitar and a drum set and I hadn't even really fucked with anything in a long time. I hadn't played drums or anything like that. So uh, I was just sitting there plunking on his fucking guitar one night, not having a clue what I was doing. And he showed me, um, God, I can't even remember the song. It's a, it's an Everclear song. It's like, da na da na He showed me how to play that. And then uh, that was like all it took to like spark my interest into like, okay, I I'm going to fucking learn how to play guitar. <laughs> so uh, then my dad taught me a couple chords and like taught me like every rose has its thorn by poison, you know, it's like simple progression. So I just learned that and then started learning other shit and then uh, just basically like would do nothing but play guitar. I mean, I would wake up early for school. Um, I'd wake up at like 6.30 in the morning and uh, I'd play guitar till like 8.30 when I had to go to school and then I'd get out of school at 1.15 I'd come home I'd be home by 2 I'd play guitar till like 8 o'clock at night eat dinner tell mom I was going to bed and then I'd put my headphones in and I'd play guitar till like 4 in the morning and <laughs> get like a cat nap wake back up at 6.30 play more guitar and I just did that forever like just what seemed like forever but um yeah I was just constantly practicing and playing guitar just all the fucking time and then I uh, met this kid in, I'm kind of jumping around timelines right now, but um, in eighth fine. grade when I was in middle school, this kid, his name was Steve Urbic, um, kind of, uh, you know, like just wasn't 
I, we weren't friends or anything. I knew him or whatever, but there was a talent show in eighth grade, and he got up there with uh, a Jackson Kelly, which is like the fucking Marty Friedman-looking guitar. Yeah. And uh, he played guitar at the talent show, and he fucking whipped out like some Malmsteen shit and Fly to the Bumblebee, <laughs> and he was just like fucking shredding. And so when hi- in high school, when I started playing guitar, I found out that he had this band, so I went and saw him. And uh, I was just like, well, yeah, I, I want to fucking be in a band. But I really wanted to play with Steve because he was like the only other guitar player that I knew that was like really fucking good. But they had another guitar player in their band. So I don't know, long story short, I kind of convinced them to get me instead of that guy. <laughs> and uh, so I played in that band for almost a year. And then... Uh, I just wasn't happy with some of the members in the band, and uh, I just didn't really want to play guitar anymore, so I actually quit the band and stole the guitar player and the bass player, and then um, switched to drums and got another singer and started my own my own band. And then that's the band that I started playing drums in when I met Rumble, and I met the Dudes in Falling Closer and all that stuff, so it was like switching to drums is what made everything like start to happen and it happened really slow but that's what if i would have kept playing guitar i don't think i ever would have like stayed interested in music the way that i am now because i don't know i I fucking i love playing guitar i still play every single day and i you know i'm constantly writing music and just whatever but just there's something about playing live that i just i never felt comfortable on stage and i uh behind the kit i just feel like i'm at home so it's interesting i don't think i've really ever heard of someone being like i spent so much time doing this and then basically was just like yeah i'm bored with that so i'm gonna go to this other thing that i've kind of neglected for a while and, and yeah. kind of delve into that yeah i mean and it necessarily it wasn't that i was bored with it because like i said i still like i mean i play guitar more than i play drums to be completely honest with you i was gonna say i but, see all um, your videos you post and it I, what i don't see other than when you're recording <laughs> is drum videos yeah, no, I'm not, I don't, I'm really bad at that, actually, I, I'm just a fucking horrible person when it comes to practicing, and, like, I mean, I, I practice and stuff, but, like, I'm not the guy who, like, sits down and, like, works out a fill or whatever, or a beat for, like, you know, six hours, I'll just, like, think about it and obsess over it in my head, and by the time I go to play it, I've done so much mental work, it's like, I can almost already do it, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing i think the only two people i can think of excuse me in uh in this that i follow in the general sense of the term on social media that i actually see that do things like that are brandon uh from uh misery signals like that dude's constantly uploading short clips of like you know these you know here's a four eight time paradiddle blah 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 like left right left right all this kind of shit and it's like all right <laughs> yeah and you like you just yeah, watch see, him do it and even... it looks so boring and then it's like you watch uh and like to me it's like these these two references are like complete opposite ends of the spectrum uh eric from uh night versus like where he posts those like drumming ADD oh yeah things. that dude's insane i know and it's like i've seen him play live a handful of times and that was when we saw that band the first time uh when they were on tour opening for uh a friend of mine's band uh harvard um i remember being blown away by the drummer and i was like holy shit and then it's like as you've kind of followed him, like even people who aren't into drumming, I think kind of have a general idea who he is because of this, these crazy videos where he's you know doing flips over kits and 
all this shit but it's like i'm just mesmerized watching him like okay i'm gonna play everything like all my kits flat now now everything's spaced out now i'm playing a three-piece kit now i'm playing this i'm just doing stuff with my looping station so on and so forth and it's like i don't know how like exactly like how you said usually playing drums gets kind of annoying really quickly (laughs) so the fact that that dude's just constantly like woodshedding and like playing around with shit it's like all right like i guess (laughs) yeah i mean with that i mean that that guy is on like a completely different spectrum than a lot of people especially me i mean like i'm not a i'm like um I'm completely self-taught, so I literally have no idea what I'm doing. Like, if people are You're like, You're more well, of a field drummer. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, you, you know me, dude. I'm a Motley guy. I want to play, like, <laughs> fucking looks to kill all day, you know? So, like... Um, but that's the but, funny thing, too, and sorry to cut you off, like, and I, I guess we'll, we'll kind of delve more into that in a, a few minutes, but I think, actually, Tommy was more one of the... the the secret weapons of that band, because it's like, really, if you go back and listen to a lot of the shit, there's a lot going on that you... It just looks like a, a feel-good party time, you know, band and sound. But it's like when you really break down what everyone's doing, there's actually a lot of like little nuances going on, especially with his playing. Yeah, and I mean, um, to be completely honest with you, like I wouldn't be as big of a Motley fan if, if it weren't for Tommy. But there was so much more with that band necessarily than just the music and the songs. You know, it was like just the attitude and oh, like, yeah, the sure. fucking straight up like sex, drugs, rock and roll. It is so appealing to fucking basically everybody you know right. like that just they they looked like they had fun and they partied hard and they played hard and i don't know but um like tommy is just one of those dudes who's like there's there's so many different kinds of drummers out there in my eyes like there's dudes like eric who is like one of those drummers that even just playing drums I could watch him all day because he's doing like such cool, unique stuff, but he's also doing the things with like the pads where he's like making melodies as he's playing. So it's like turning it into something that's not just drums. And I think that's what is really cool about that guy. And what people like about that guy is it's not just listening to some dude do some blistering fucking drum solo. It's like a, it's like a composition of music. Right. But then, uh, there's guys that are like great fucking drummers, but, they can't break it down and like play like back in black you know <laughs> that's or another and, band that i think or actually as a whole another band that people think is disgustingly easy to play and there's it's just, not there's so much again it's it's like to, to play yeah to play acdc right with that bounce and like just certain little accents that most people don't even realize it's like it's very very difficult you know and that's that's one of those things about tommy that like he's got that bounce you know like tommy can do a beat that's like just a fucking rock beat and it's still gonna make you dance because it's got that swagger to it that like it's not just a beat there's like something to it i don't know there's just a bounce to it it's like you can't help but nod your head to it and he's just playing a rock beat but there's certain people that have that and he's like in my opinion he's the fucking king of that shit too, so. too young to fall in love is kind of like the drum beat that I always just love that intro like just simple beat yeah it's into that guitar riff that's a slide into that riff yeah it's it's, like... that shit's fucking money <laughs> <laughs> but uh sorry to cut you off on the Tommy Lee tangent oh that's, don't worry about it I was gonna say it's a big uh mutual thing that we both love probably more than two straight men should <laughs> right yeah I fucking still have your shirts all packed up in my shit that you sent me yeah 
No, I just, I mean, for that, like, I was like, ugh, I'm too fat now to wear these. <laughs> Someone should get them, because, like, I spent a boatload of money at one point on a bunch of Motley Crue t-shirts when they were coming back and stuff like that, so it was like... All right, well, I don't want to just give these to Goodwill. I want them to go to someone who actually gives a shit about the band and likes it. As stupid as that is, but... No, it's not stupid. I fucking just appreciate the fact that I was that guy, man. So thanks again, because that fucking shit's awesome. Well, you know, do nice things for other people. It's the whole point of sometimes life, in my opinion. For a lot sure. Of sh- a lot of shittiness out in the world. Absolutely. Well, like this weather. <laughs> it's funny that you guys are basically like i said earlier getting the weather that we typically get here in michigan <laughs> yeah and i feel like we're getting all the weather you get because we just have been getting hit with rain lots of rain uh storms and shit yeah i mean like i i'm from portland and i still hate the rain but i am welcoming it right now <laughs> um so at that point you had kind of uh said you started playing drums and and uh working with um you know, being told that you you <laughs> kind of sucked and should practice. Um, yeah, it's funny too because I always tell that story, and Rumble's like, "I didn't tell you you sucked," <laughs> and he, he 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 actually didn't. But I it's was what, how like, you inferred it. I had to like take it as that because at that point in time, I was a pretty cocky little shit, to be honest with you, and wasn't very humble, and I was kind of a dick. So, well, as I, I to say like, now, around like, that time. Uh, you have told me, and, and I don't feel so bad about saying this now because you've been posting that you have your back to doing this kind of a show again, but that you used to be in a Motley uh, cover band uh, or a couple, few cover bands in general of more of the uh, 80s hair metal stuff, which seemingly, as you've mentioned earlier, like one of the first songs you had kind of learned was a, a Poison song and stuff like that. So how did Well, yeah, you... on guitar, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, on guitar. But... Uh, so it seems like you have like kind of grew up like I did with an affinity for '80s like hair metal and stuff like that in general. So what, where was the transition uh, into playing more? I would say more aggressive music, or was it kind of always there? Uh, growing up. Uh, well, I um, my dad was always into that kind of stuff, and uh, that's like just what I was raised on, you know. And it wasn't always hair metal, you know, like um, like <clears throat> like Tom Petty. Um, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. My dad actually plays in a Tom Petty tribute band right now. Why? Uh, I'm, I'm also noticing that's a thing all of a sudden. Like, there's a friend there, of mine. Yeah, there's a big fucking tribute band scene in Portland right now that's actually kind of making quite a bit of noise. Really? Yeah. And actually, um, the Motley Crue tribute band that I used to be in is still around. And uh, they're part of that whole scene. And uh, yeah, my dad plays in a Tom Petty tribute band and a Rolling Stones tribute band. And then we've got like a killer Van Halen tribute band, a fucking amazing Journey tribute band, uh, ACDC, Scorpions, fucking God, who else? White Snake. Um, I mean, there's there's tribute bands for like pretty much everyone out of that genre. We got a great Guns N' Roses tribute band, um, fucking Foreigner. Like, there's just Slayer, Maiden. Like, there's just tons of good tribute bands in Portland right now. That's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, but um, the whole uh, thing basically like uh, my parents got divorced when I was five and me and my twin brother went to live with my mom and she had a friend who was uh, I'd never heard of Guns N' Roses before and he showed me um, Guns N' Roses and I was instantly hooked I was like okay this is the best band ever and to this day they're still my favorite fucking band of all time like no one can touch Guns N' Roses in my head 
and uh, he showed me Guns N' Roses, and I was, like, really psyched on it. He's like, well, shit, man, if you like Guns N' Roses, you need to check out Metallica. I'm like, who the fuck is Metallica? You know, I'm, like, seven I was to say, or seven would, at this time. Would this have been it's around a, the time they did that tour together, though, as, as well, like, around Use Your Illusions and, I want to say, like, Injustice? This would have been, it would have been the Black Album okay. and the Use Your Illusions. That's, like, 91, 92, so it would have been, like, right after that. Right. Um... But yeah, he it, uh, he introduced me to Metallica, and then he introduced me to like Iron Maiden and um, Megadeth. So that's where all like the heavier stuff came in. But then when I got older, and it was like uh, bands like I was really in just I think because of my age, you know, I was really into like the shit that was coming out in like the early two thousands, like the Used and like uh, Story of the Year, Finch. Um, yeah, fucking that like you know, screamo band. scene that was or quote unquote screamo scene. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. I was really influenced by that. And then um, that's when I started listening to, like, Deftones too, also, which was weird because it's totally not in that scene, and they'd been around for a lot longer. Yeah. And then uh, I actually hadn't even heard of 36 yet by then. I didn't hear about 36 till the first band I was playing guitar, and my uh, singer and drummer, like, loved Snowcapped because that was, at that time, Snowcapped that just came out. Right. And... Uh, to be completely honest with you, they showed me it, and I was all into the music and everything. And I just, when Brock would start singing, I was like, "Whoa, that's <laughs> different!" And I, uh, you had the same reaction I did. I had to get used to Brock's voice. I mean, it's a. I think Brock's one of the most unique singers ever, and it's kind of one of those things where you either like it or you don't. And um, I, we all totally understand that. But um, when I first heard it, I would, it just took me a minute to get used to it. But then once I got used to Brock's voice and fell in love with his voice, I like just completely fell in love with 36 and uh, started listening to Thomas a lot. And then I remember when they were recording or they were doing demos for Rest Inside the Flames is like right when I met him and Thomas showed me some of that stuff. And it was that was when it was like, holy fuck, I got to study this dude. He's like the raddest fucking drummer I've ever heard in my life. So that's when I pretty much like just literally studied Thomas like it was a fucking college exam or something like that. Like, I knew every little fucking thing, pretty much. And um, it was funny because I always told the guys when I became friends with them and we would open for them and shit, I'd always just give them shit, you know, like that stupid little fanboy, like, oh, you should let me sit in on a song, or, oh, you know, if you don't ever want to play a show, I'll fill in for you. Just like the dumb shit that kids say to their heroes, you know? Right. So we were, I don't know, fast forward like four or five years and they were, I was up in Tacoma, Washington with them and Thomas had broken his finger the night before or something like that. And he was trying to play, uh, he was trying to play the show basically with one hand and I just kind of gave him a look and I was like, dude, I'm here. <laughs> and uh, he was like, smiled at me or whatever. Then he tried to do another song and uh, couldn't really do it and he'd, just asked me from stage he's like are you fucking serious like can you do this I'm like yeah well let's let's i mean fuck what's it gonna hurt let's try it you know <laughs> so i get up on stage and like well what do you know what songs do you know and i was like well let me see the set and then i just i knew the rest of the set you know i knew pretty much all of them so i was like well let's just pick up where we left off and finish this bitch so i played like four songs with them and like that was when it the ball started rolling about like oh shit he wasn't lying and shortly after <laughs> that is when Thomas ended up quitting and Thomas 
was, you know, um, Holt had started talking to Thomas about like, well, you know, what about like getting Kyle to come in and take your spot? And, um, because if Thomas wasn't cool with it, like they wouldn't have wanted to continue and I wouldn't have wanted to take the job if Thomas wasn't cool with it. Because besides being my hero, he was a close friend of mine, you know? Right. And, uh, Thomas basically told him like, he's the only kid I'd be cool with, you know, taking my spot for the band. So if it's not him, like I don't want it to be anybody else. And so once we had his blessing, it was like, all right, dude, do you want to be in the band? And I'm like, uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so was that was an, how that happened. Was it an instance where you're, uh, you had to quit the band that you were in to, to pursue this? No, by that point, I was pretty much falling closer, had a kind of a falling out, and we were not a band anymore. And I was just basically like a little whore for anyone <laughs> who needed a drummer in Portland. That was like how I was making a living, just filling in for people and shit like that. And uh, I was getting to the point where it was like, you know, I got to do something. Nothing's fucking happening. So I actually like flew a couple places to try out for different bands. And I was in fucking Oklahoma and Holt called me. He's like, dude, you can't leave. You can't leave. And I'm like, what do you mean, motherfucker? I, I got to do something. He's like, no, seriously, like when you get home, we got to talk. And I got home and he's like, so like, do you want to be our guy or what? And I'm like. Well, if you're serious, fuck yeah. But if not, like I got to do something. He's like, no, seriously, man. Like we want you to be our drummer. He's like, well, fuck. All right, I guess I'm staying at home. So around that time, if because this is around the time I think where I, Alfonso and I ended up booking the tour that I think was kind of one of your first tours with the band, like full on tours. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, I had done like four shows with the band as the drummer before we came out to Michigan for that run. So yeah, so, that was like my first official tour with 36. Yeah. So it's gotta be kind of weird that your first tour is them celebrating the 10 year anniversary of their first record. Yeah. And you're basically playing all of those songs that mean a lot to pretty much anyone that's coming out to see the band, as well as playing the newer stuff that, you know, you probably had studied up on and, and gotten into as, as a fan yourself. So what's it like having to step into those shoes and just kind of be like, all right, like people, to put it in perspective, I would say like a classic album to me, like, you know, I can think of almost every part would be like Corn's uh, first record. Uh-huh. You know, I could think of almost every song, how the drums go, guitars, where things go, the stops, all that kind of shit. For a lot of people, that's how, you know, the Bitterness the Star album is. For a lot of people, they could tell you like, oh, this song starts this way, here's this guitar riff, whatever. And, you know, could probably air drum along to the parts. So what's it feel like knowing that, like, you know, you're the new guy and people know that, you know, potentially know that you're the new guy and then, you know, having to live up to, you know, a classic album like that? Uh, well, it was it was really nerve-wracking for me personally because I, uh, 36 has such, like, a, like, loyal fan base. You know, like, if you're, if you're down with 36, like, you're, our fans are just always going to be there. They always have been. They always will be. Like we have like some of the best and most dedicated fans I've ever seen from a lot of bands, you know. And so I knew that it couldn't have been. It couldn't be like something where I was just coming in and like filling in, you know, like doing good enough. Like I wanted to make sure it was perfect. So I worked my ass off to get there. And so I wasn't too worried about like the playing of the parts necessarily. I was more worried about like people accepting me not being like an original 36 dude you know and to my surprise everyone welcomed me with open arms like everybody and uh 
I've I've really had no trouble with people accepting me in the band and everyone's just been like super supportive and they were just like well if this is the guy like we're gonna back him and I don't know I was very very lucky that they were so understanding of that because it's impossible to replace Thomas like even if I can play the parts note for note it's still not the same you know and it never ever will be but I'm just trying to like do it my best just my, my best justice to Thomas and you know just hopefully not let him down first and foremost but um <laughs> yeah I mean no one's had any complaints so far so I mean obviously with the new record when Time and Trauma came out there were comments about how like you know the drumming was dumbed down and it wasn't like you know it didn't sound like Thomas and that's totally fine with me because you know I've, I'm nev I've never claimed to be Thomas I'm not on his level at all as far as writing capabilities or just my style in general is just so much different I'm more of a rock drummer and Thomas is a guy who to this day can still write a beat that no one has ever heard before you know and I'm I'm not that guy so there was a little bit of that but it wasn't like negative it was just like oh well this is just such a different sound you know so um I've been lucky. Everyone's been super supportive, especially in Alaska. That was the place I was worried about it the most. Because my <laughs> first show with 36 was uh, like a two and a half hour set in Anchorage at their hometown in their home bar. Was it the uh, the zombie fist thing they do every year? Or no, that came later. Okay. Uh, this was just like the first show of the 10 year anniversary for bitterness. Okay. Um, actually, something I've always wondered <clears throat> with you going into that first record. Uh, yourself, did you find that playing all this, especially bitterness, and playing a lot of the the, the older stuff, uh, touring first before having a new record with you on it? Did you find that maybe it helped you, you know, maybe approach some of the songwriting with Holt and all them uh, from a little bit more of a perspective that Thomas may have done it with, or were they very uh, open to like you kind of feeling out your own parts and kind of putting your own stamp on what you were doing? No, they were they were very open about that. I think um, the difference with the new record that we're currently recording and Time and Trauma is just that, like, even though I had like the they trusted me to do like what I wanted on Time and Trauma and like make it my own and stuff, I was still kind of trying to find my place, right. you know. So if there was like an idea and like I mean, also I'm not I'm not one of those drummers who is like. Well, if I didn't write that part, it's not going in the song. You know, if it fucking sounds good, then I'm going to play it because you play for the song. You don't play for the drums, you know? Right. So, like, um, Holt usually will come up with a riff and he'll just, like, program drums over it just to get, like, a general feel of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, w I would always, like, I would spice up the shit and stuff like that, but it would still have, like, that kind of core sound. And I wasn't, like, well, I really think that it would be cooler if it was, like, this, you know, because I was still trying to find my way and I think the, the the boys were still trying to also because you know Thomas was their only drummer for 20 fucking years so like they're learning just as much about me as I'm learning about how to become into this project and like still make it you know 36 and uh, so I think that Time and Trauma came out fucking awesome I'm super proud of it but it was definitely a learning experience for me to get like to the point where it was like okay now I can I can come in and just really really hunker down and like if I think that this should be different like I'm gonna say that now right you know and I've talked to Thomas about it and 
he's been telling me since day one, he's like, dude, I don't want you to come in and like fucking try and be me. I want you to be you, you know, like you're in the band for a reason, like do what you do. And it took me a long time to like really accept that. But on this new record, like I've really kind of put my own stamp on it. I feel like and changed a couple things in the songs and reworked some things in the songs that like I just, I don't think I would have done on Time and Trauma. And it's really cool because every, not every, but you know, a lot of the ideas that I had, like the guys were like, holy shit, that's fucking awesome. I wouldn't even have thought about that. And then it made the song like way fucking cooler and different. So, so yeah, I mean, I, we're in a good place right now, man. I was going to say, it seemed like uh, it, it was interesting to hear you say that you had read that the drums were kind of dumbed down uh, from people commenting on the record. Because all I really ever saw was like, you know, praise and, and uh, you know, adoration for how well it was doing. And it seemed like it actually kind of took the band back as far as like the, the reception of the album got as a whole. Kind of put them back, you know, in in the more mainstream uh, level. Like you guys got on that Kill Switch tour that brought you back around, at least, through, you know, through here. Uh, you guys went to, what, Brazil, I think, or somewhere around in... Dude, we went all fucking over in 2015, man. Like, um, yeah, that whole the, all the the comment thing. I was that was like, I mean, there wasn't a lot of that. I'm just saying there was definitely people that had mentioned that, you know, which is, you know, something that I expected, but I wasn't like offended by it at all because, you know, I've if I was coming in trying to be Thomas and people were saying like you're not even fucking close, Thomas, like. <laughs> uh, maybe I would be get a little bummed out about it, but I'm very aware that like I'm I'm not even close to Thomas's abilities, so I'm just doing my best, you know. And if people like it, that's fucking great. If people don't, I understand that too. So that was all I was saying about that. But um, the uh, time and trauma did a lot of things for us, man. Like it fucking it was the highest charting record we've had on in like in the first week. It was highest charting, highest selling, and then um. Yeah, we. I mean, shit. In 2015, I think we were only home for like two months. Yeah, it seemed like you were always posting that you were going somewhere, and like, yeah, oh, I'm only home for like a day, or you know, maybe a couple of days, and then I'm heading on a plane to go somewhere. Yeah, we. Yeah, we did a lot, man. I mean, we got to do download. That was killer. My first time, especially since we were, you know, we played main stage and open for Motley and shit. So that was intense. But then you know, it, it just opened the doors to get on. Especially, it wasn't. I mean, it was obviously it was the the music and the record too, but like this new label that we're on, like when we signed with Spine Farm Records, um, they would just they're fucking great, man. They like they totally have our back, and they they opened a lot of doors for us, also getting us on like big tours that typically we wouldn't really get on because it's not like our style, but it would you know get us some exposure to new kind of crowds, you know. So we did some shows with Five Finger Death Punch. We went out within this moment. We went out with Nonpoint. Um, like we just did some shit that typically we wouldn't have done, you know, in the past, I don't think. So time and trauma definitely opened up a lot of fucking doors. And it also let people know that, you know, we're not dead. We're not planning on going out anytime soon. So it was pretty and, nice to, uh, to see that. Cause usually when a band follows like a, a nostalgia tour with a new record, <laughs> it usually doesn't do so well. <laughs> Because everyone's like, yeah. well, it wasn't that record. You just reminded us all of how great it was, and <laughs> so we kind of don't care. So it was kind of interesting to see that that didn't happen to you guys. Uh, 
I mean, because I right around the same time I saw it happen to Finch, like their second record is probably my favorite record of theirs, but it's the one everyone fucking hates because it's not what it is to burn. So yeah. it was it, like I didn't get to see that reunion tour of sorts, but then when they came back around with uh, whatever the fuck it was, I was stoked to hear the stuff off of Say Hello to Sunshine, but then when they'd play, like, and no one gave a shit, and then it's like as soon as they play anything off of What Is To Burn, like, everyone was, like, clapping, having a good time, and I was like, man, what the fuck is this? Like, why can't, why do fans not seem to give a shit? Like, they like the one record they like, and then it's like when a band tries to do something remotely different, they're like, well, fuck you, we don't care anymore. (laughs) So it's almost like, I mean, it's gotta be hard. It's, I think that's just kind of typical with people in general that, you know, they they get used to one thing and then they like change is scary to people. I mean, on that, on that particular subject, it is night and day between those two records. I mean, it is <laughs> such a different fucking record. I love the second Finch record, but it was like, it is so fucking different. It's almost not Finch. I felt and, like, uh, cause I felt like, and I mean, granted this is a tangent, but that's pretty much what a podcast is for. Um, I feel like that first Finch record, it's like, okay, so your Glassjaw 2.0. There's that, I mean, already, the Glassjaw already exists, so we don't need another Glassjaw. Do something and, that's going to make you... And then Daryl was on the record. Two, on two songs, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like it doesn't help, and to me, it's like, I felt like it was a band who learned how to write songs and write cool parts, and it's like there's a... I mean, I ended up talking to uh, one of the dudes through Instagram about this when I bought the vinyl of it, and I was like, dude, I love the fact that like on this song you use this riff uh, going into the bridge and then basically that that little riff becomes the whole verse riff of ink and he was like you know surprisingly not many people notice that and it's like how do they not notice it it's it's the it's the same fucking thing and it's only like two songs later like how do you how does no one notice that but i i don't know i always everyone's album like if a band puts out a record and it's you know the one everyone loves then it's the one i fucking hate <laughs> for the most part uh, yeah i i can uh i understand that too i but, think a lot of it is just um i i tend to forget like just being a music lover and a musician like i tend to forget that like not everyone thinks about music the way that i do and i mean like it baffles me that there's some people out there that like don't have a favorite band or they're like i just don't really listen to music yeah i don't don't know what kind of music i like like so that could have something to do with it too you know like not everyone is like a music guy you know and that's totally fine but i think that you know if if you're at all like that and you do find music that you like you're gonna hold on to that because you finally found something that you like and if you know you give another record a chance and it's not like it was the first time it's understandable that they were just gonna be like okay well fuck it and it sucks <laughs> but it's like you know if, if it's not your thing it's just not your thing what uh because a lot of the touring that you did was i would assume the first time like you know like you said you played download is first time for you going and doing most of the traveling did you find that uh kind of gave the band kind of like the rest of the dudes like a new perspective of being like wow okay like we're kind of excited about this shit too because you know like having a lot of friends even just on the local level who do a lot of touring around like in the same area like you're like oh you're playing here yeah yeah you know we're playing here that you know it just becomes old hat so i wonder you know for as excited as you get about everything does it kind of reinvigorate their their love of 
wanting to do it again because at least it kind of gets experience it again for the first time through you? Um, well, I. It's funny that you worded it like that. I'm not going to speak for my guys, you know, but I have heard them say those exact words, you know, <laughs> like. So I, I do definitely think that that has rejuvenated some of their like spark and passion and like let's just fucking go have some fun and play some rock shows you know instead of it being like a fucking chore that we're on the shitty tour and we're not making any money but we got to do this you know now it's just like ah fuck it who cares we're not out here to make money let's just go fucking party and have some fun with our friends i do actually think i've noticed that since because i saw one of thomas's last tours uh and then saw obviously one of your first and it's nothing like I am commenting as a as a fan of the band and just what I noticed from going to shows. But it seemed like the you guys are having fun on stage visibly, like smiles, looking at each other, you know, like maybe you flub a part or whatever, and then kind of look at Brock or you know Holt or whatever and kind of laugh like ah, shit, <laughs> you know, like or yeah. like someone catches you know just having fun, like the joy of playing live. And I didn't one hundred percent, and I didn't have see a fucking... that. I didn't see that before. Like, I kind of felt like that was was maybe missing. Um, I think it probably was, you know. Um, by the time Thomas was ready to leave the band, he was, you know, he was pretty, he was just really not happy being on the road and doing this and whatever. And, you know, after so long of doing it, it's understandable. And, if you, you know, if your heart's not in it, you just shouldn't do it. Because, you know, it's a lot of people misconstrue like how it is on the road they think like oh man you're in a band and you get to play all over and just party all the time and man you must just be living the dream and it's like fuck yeah i'm living the dream but it's not all peaches and cream man like it's fucking <laughs> it's hard ass work to be on tour you know it really is and granted it's fucking fun as hell i i get panic attacks thinking about coming home like i fucking hate coming home i love being on the road but at the same time like it is taxing and it's draining it's exhausting and as much fun and shit as you're having you're working just as hard and people don't think that but it's it's not like you're just going out there and fucking just partying all the time well going to say a quote i've been hearing on a, a few other podcasts as of late popping up is uh i think it was i want to say it was lemmy but i don't know just because i've been hearing a lot of lemmy stories lately on different shit but it was something like I don't get paid for the show; I get paid for the, like the t- other twenty-two and a half hours, you know, to get there. Yeah, well, <laughs> we don't get paid, period. <laughs> so we just do it because, like, we love to fucking play music together. And I mean, um, one thing I've noticed about Thirty Six that I'm not, and I'm not saying this is like all bands, but one thing that's like true about Thirty Six is like we we are fucking family. You know, like we are, we are brothers and it's not, it's not a a job to us, you know, like we don't mind waking up to the three fucking other dudes, four other dudes in the fucking, you know, in the bus every day. Cause like we're fucking best friends, you know, like, I don't know, even, even when we're fucking at home, it's not like we're the, you know, we, we don't see Brock obviously very much cause he lives in Alaska, but you know, we come home and like it's the day after we just been on the road for three months. Like I'm calling Holt the next morning. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, it's like we're, we're bros. And so that, that is very important on the road. Cause if you're going to be with people that close in that close of proximity and for that long, like you got to get along, 
and uh yeah we we just fucking we love each other so we just try our hardest to go out there and kick some ass and have fun and we just enjoy each other's company it's better than a lot of people i don't even know if i could hang out with some of my best friends day in and day out for three months (laughs) without a break it's uh you get you definitely appreciate your alone time if you ever get it (laughs) but at the same time uh I wouldn't change it for the fucking world, man. I'm gonna kind of start wrapping this up. Um, let you get back cool. to your your evening. But uh, on, I just totally lost my train of thought on that. Um, so I'll just kind of start with this this question. So on, uh, I've been seeing you posting when you were working on your drum tracks for the new record. Like you seem to be really, really pushing yourself. Uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier about you know coming up with like being more. Uh, be more strong uh, in what you want your vision of like how you're playing to come across on the record. Um, are you really like? Is it hard to be in the waiting phase now of like waiting for this record to come out so you can kind of like show people like what you've done from the you know growing from the last record? Um, I guess as of right now, this second, it's not gotten to that point yet because we still um, Holt just finished all the guitars yesterday. So now all we need to do is get Brock down here and finish the vocals and then we'll mix and master it and everything. It's when you, like, I think that will set in when we send it off and we're just waiting for it to get pressed and, you know, actual release dates and then waiting for tours and shows to come up and stuff like that. That will probably be when I'm like, fuck, let's just get this fucking shit out and get it going. (laughs) But um, as of right now, like, no, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm very excited for people to hear it and stuff like that, but I'm still in that giddy stage of like I'm really excited that you know every time we're in the studio like something new's happening and it's it's still really fucking exciting and fun right now and we're all just so pumped on this new record that it's uh yeah it's good man I can't wait for people to hear it. What uh what's been your favorite memory? of playing a live show doesn't have to be 36 can be anything like what's your whoa that's uh <laughs> shit man there's honestly so many of them um fuck let me think about this for a second favorite memory of a live show okay um yeah this was pretty cool i'll go with this one since there's too many and this was the most recent uh when we were in brazil um we had a killer fucking show. We played Sao Paulo, and it was just a great response. Everyone was having such a blast. And we uh, we came, we went off stage, and we came out for the encore. We played the encore, and then we like you know said goodnight and went backstage. And usually, you know, people start trickling out by then, and uh, I could hear them from backstage like they're just still out there like chanting and shit. So I was like, man, I'm gonna go fucking hang out with these guys. So I just went out to the stage and shit, and I was just like, you know, shaking hands and thanking everybody and blah, 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 and they just start chanting, jump. (laughs) And I'm like, um, okay, fuck. So I get on the mic, and I'm like, I mean, they speak Portuguese, you know, like very, they probably don't know what I'm saying on the the mic, but I'm like, don't fucking drop me. You know, I'm a little (laughs) motherfucker. I will, if you drop me, I'm gonna die. So just don't fucking drop me. And, uh, then I just leaped out into the fucking crowd and crowd surfed and people went fucking nuts 
like they thought it was really cool so that was that was fun as hell i got that was definitely a high i was on for a couple days and lastly you have obviously replaced one of your your drum idols mentors whatever the the word is you want to use to describe thomas hero okay even better now you've Recently, you had mentioned that you had uh, opened for Motley at Download playing on the main stage. Uh, yeah. I know that you had gotten to meet Tommy. Did I he did. get to watch any of your set or comment on any of that? Or no, man, we um, I wouldn't expect him to anyway. We played at like noon, and you know he probably doesn't even know who we were anyway. But uh, it was funny because the whole reason, like when we got confirmation that we were playing Download. Brock sent me this text and he's like, We're doing download. And I'm like, Holy shit, that's fucking awesome. And he's like, Just wait till you see the lineup, dude. You're going to shit. <laughs> I'm like, um, Okay. So he sends me the lineup. And on the main stage that day that we played, we opened for Billy Idol slash Motley Crue and Kiss. <laughs> and uh, so like, the boys were all joking around the whole time, like, Well, the only reason we're doing download is so you can meet Tommy Lee. That's the only reason we're playing. So you got to meet Tommy Lee. I'm like, Okay, um, well then, our dressing room backstage was like right across the way from Slash's, you know, and like I told you, Guns N' Roses is my favorite band, so I'm freaking out because I'm sitting there staring at Slash, <laughs> and then uh, our buddy from over there comes into the dressing room, he's like, fucking Tommy is in Slash's room right now, and I was like, dude, do not fuck with me, that's <laughs> playing with my emotions, it's not cool. He's like, no, I'm dead serious, just go outside, smoke a cigarette, just wait to fucking see him, he's fucking in there. I'm like, whatever. So I walk outside, I'm smoking a cigarette, and fucking here comes Tommy walking out of Slash's room. And uh, I was just like, fucking lost my shit. And just <laughs> like, hey, dude, I'm so sorry to be this guy. But, like, you're the reason I play drums, and I fucking love you so much. Can I just, like, get a picture with you? And he, like, stepped back a second, and I'm like, oh, fuck, <laughs> he's going to be a dick. And he's like, he just kind of looks at me, and he's like, fuck yeah, bro, what's your name? And, like, we just started talking and shit. And uh, so then, like, all these people realize it's Tommy Lee, and so he gets bombarded. And I looked at him, and I was like, fuck, I'm sorry, man. And so I just, like, kind of stepped back. And he's sitting there talking for a little bit. I'm still outside, and uh, he walks, like, through this crowd of people, and, like, comes up, and he's like, Kyle, it was great to meet you, man, and shook my hand. I'm like, oh, my God, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> so then, uh, like, three hours later, I'm walking up to watch Slash play, and Tommy's walking by, and, like, we kind of meet up, and he's like, you fucking partying, Kyle? And I'm like, dude, you remembered my name? <laughs> and so it was, like, fucking, it was crazy, but he was, like, just everything I ever hoped he would be. He was just so fucking, like, nice and humble and just full of energy, and I don't know, he was just, he was cool as shit. It's, it's interesting, because, like, I, uh, they a lot of these shows like now you get like meet and greet things and all that kind of shit going on and uh my dad and i went to go we've seen motley pretty much since they've come back we've seen every tour uh that they've done since like saints of los angeles and the uh one that was on the dvd here in van andel um and it was one of those things like i had contemplated spending the money for my dad and i to go meet the band like before the show at the meet and greet but it was ridiculously expensive, and then all I heard about was how like the dudes like don't stand near each other and all that kind of shit. And I was like, "That's shitty. I'm not spending all that money to like to hang out and be like a part of like some drama, basically." Yeah. Uh, and then they basically like the last show. Like I was super pumped, and it was like kind of a sad thing. But we here in GR got like the first last show, 
And I'm sure you heard about it because it made all the rounds of like how terrible it was. And it was it was a sad way to see them end. But it was kind of weird because I was like, man, like because you had just met Tommy like right around that same time, and I was like, well, at least someone had a good Molly Crew experience in the last like five months because I didn't. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was great, man. He really was. And um, you know, it's 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 funny because people just I've. In a way, I'm I'm so envious of like their success and just everything. But at the same time, I feel kind of bad for them. I mean, like, gotta people tend to forget that like these are just people, people. Yeah. You know, like they don't have to fucking take time out of their day to say hi. You know, they should because if it weren't for the fans, they wouldn't be there. But the fans need to realize, like, you know, maybe he just got a call from home that his fucking grandma died, or maybe like, you know, he's sick or this and that and the other like they tend to forget that like they're just people so i think people a lot of times like they take shit personal that they kind of shouldn't but i totally understand why they would at the same time but you know like that's why i kind of always i'm i am very uh i don't know i kind of get myself not into trouble necessarily but i if if a fan or someone who's into 36 or whatever wants to take time out of their day to talk to me or message me or whatever on Instagram or Facebook or whatever like I always take the time to give them the same respect and write back because I would have wanted that too you know it's funny you say that because that was kind of since I've been doing this I've been reaching out to people and it's like there's people that I kind of put it like in, you know, I know a lot of people in bands, so it's like inevitably that's kind of just the amount of like the people I know are band dudes, like whether they're touring or local or whatever, but typically that's the kind of friends I mostly have. So when I had reached out to you, because I was like, oh, like, ironically, I was watching Rockstar a little while ago, and I was like, this is fucking Kyle's life, kind of. Like, dude, it's so <laughs> funny because I've, uh, I've done, uh, uh, like another podcast uh, a while ago and it was a uh, called the talk to me podcast a guy named josh Toomey who used to play bass in primer 55 oh shit i, was talking to I him haven't heard that and, name uh, in forever yeah he's he's a fucking cool dude man but he said the same thing and i was like you know what man i've actually used that saying like i've totally tried to describe my situation like that you know like it's totally like that movie but just on a way fucking lower level. <laughs> is it? Have you watched? I, I would assume you've watched it since then, maybe, or is it kind of striking too close to home when you watch? You like fuck this. This kind of is my life. Uh, it sounds kind of stupid, but I don't leave home without that movie. It's oh, like really? always in my backpack. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> love. I I love that movie. Not even for the story, just because it's a good movie. But the music's it's, awesome. It's pretty funny that like that is kind of. I mean, that's very similar to what happened to me. And, and it's like, I don't think, I don't know, like, I feel like, like, and you knew you made the joke earlier that, like, when I had asked you to do this, and I was like, oh, I'm really Jeez, appreciative hang that you... Hang on a second, man, I'm sorry, these motherfuckers are <laughs> chucking fucking snow all over my house. That's alright. Let me get back inside, I can't even hear you, hang on a second, I'm sorry, dude. No, you're good. What were you saying? I was gonna say, that was like, when I had reached out to you to do this initially, I was kind of like... And a lot of the people that I've asked in general, I've been really hesitant to ask people because I'm like, I don't have anything to offer them. I don't have a reach that's going to get them new fans or new eyes on what the you know projects they're doing. So it's been kind of 
eating a lot of humble pie on my end where I'm like, hey, I'd really like you to do this. And here's kind of what I, why I'd like to have you on or the, the narrative I'd like to, you know, the story I'd like to have you tell of yours. And then, like, you know, you were like, yeah, sure, whatever, no pro- fucking problem. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. So it's like, it's not so much like, it's kind of weird because it's like I feel sort of like a fan because obviously I'm a fan of the band, but it's like, uh, I feel like because I when I got to know you, it was just like you're the new drummer or whatever. I haven't really met any of the dudes. I'm putting on this show and we're just hanging out because we have three, four hours to go before a show. And then, you know, obviously like Alfonso, like a mutual friend now of both of ours is like a huge fan and watching him fanboy out. It's just kind of like he's doing it for me, so I don't need to do anything. Yeah, I fucking love Fonzie. I miss that guy. Yeah, it's so yeah. It, uh, it's been a lot of fun though, like doing this and reaching out to people that I've admired for various reasons, and and having you know getting to tell, getting to share their story. Because uh, like I said, I think you know yours is one of like you know just persistence and you know never, you know putting in the work and then you know just kind of being at the right place at the right time. But then you know, luck only gets you so far. It's a skill and and everything else that takes you the rest of the way. And I definitely have noticed you know. For as much as you say, like, you know, I don't practice as much as I should, like, watching those videos of you writing or recording this new record and your parts and getting pissed and then just, like, you know, you could easily, like, chop up parts and play, like, chop them down to make them more simpler and then just copy and paste the shit, but it's, like, you're putting in the time and learning how to, like, you know, you're doing it. So, I mean, it's, like, to me, like, that kind of shows, like, you know, luck got you so far within reason, but then it's it's your skill and your, your determination, and I think that's... A valuable thing that I think people need to hear. To oh, me. I appreciate that, man. I really do. Because it's, uh, yeah, it's been, um, it, it definitely has been a long, hard road. I've, I'm, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to put into words without sounding like cliche or like a dick, but I, I literally, like, once I made that decision to where I was like, I'm, I'm gonna play music for the rest of my life. That's just that's all I'm gonna do. I uh, I literally like sacrificed everything. Like I like everything in my life basically comes second to music, and it just always has since I had that goal. And you know, it's gotten me into trouble, and it's also gotten me like where I'm at, and I'm you know I'm happy with it. So it's it's all been a learning experience, but um, it's definitely nice to hear sometimes that you know it's people notice the the hard work and don't think that I just kind of fell into a lucky situation, which, you know, like you said, it is right place, right time kind of thing, but I did fucking work my ass off to be in that right place at the right time too, you know, so. Well, I think that's a good spot to end it, as any. So uh, thank you for your time. Of course, brother. And uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you collectively we will be seeing you guys on the road uh in the next few months and hearing this new record hopefully sooner than later man we'll get together and uh do what we do listen to motley crew and drink whiskey (laughs) well that sounds good to me that sounds like a sounds like a date (laughs) all right thank you man. all right brother will you take it easy man i'll talk to you soon you as well all right cheers bro bye And as we typically like to do here whenever we have a musical guest on the show, uh, I'm going to leave you with a song from uh, 36 Crazy Fists. Uh, Kyle told me to play Swing the Noose, uh, as it was one of the songs he really liked off of uh, their last record, Time and Trauma. Uh, So if you like this, go ahead and uh, head over to iTunes or wherever and go pick up a copy. Um, And be on the lookout for their new record coming out sometime this year. Crank it.
the 